So what does the Old Testament tell us about tongues? Now, among other things, the Bible often uses the word tongue in a metaphorical sense, and it's used to describe a language, a body of words and systems that make up a distinctive human language. And we see this is the very first use of the word tongue in the Bible, in Genesis chapter 10. After the great flood, the various descendants of Noah spread out to their own lands, and they form their own clans and their own nations and their own tongue. And tongue here, of course, refers to the unique languages of the different people, groups, and nations of the earth. Now, the children of Israel, the Hebrews, they had their own tongue. And this is the Hebrew language in which the Old Testament was originally written. Other peoples and other nations had different tongues. And just as it is today, most people only knew their native language. They could not speak or understand foreign tongues. So in the ancient world in particular, it would have been a fearful thing to be conquered or captured by a foreign army, to come under the rule of a people whose language you did not know and could not understand. Just imagine people ordering you about and threatening you and shouting at you, but you have no idea what they want. Now, if you've ever spent time in a foreign country where you didn't speak the language, you have some inkling how frustrating and even fearful that can be. And so it was a fearful prophecy that Moses delivered to the Hebrews in Deuteronomy 28. The sons of Israel had been freed from Egyptian slavery. They were coming to the end of their sojourn in the wilderness, and they were getting ready to cross the Jordan and enter into the promised land. And God told them that if they would remain faithful to him, he would bless them in the land. They would know peace and prosperity in this new kingdom. But if they did not follow the Lord's command. If they did not keep faith with him, keep covenant with him, they would instead reap curses. And so in particular, Deuteronomy 28 verse 45 tells the children of Israel, all these curses shall come upon you and pursue you and overtake you till you are destroyed because you did not obey the voice of the Lord your God to keep his commandments and his statutes that he commanded you. They shall be a sign and a wonder against you and your offspring forever. And here's the sign. Because you did not serve the Lord your God with joyfulness and gladness of heart, you shall serve your enemies, whom the Lord will send against you. The Lord will bring a nation against you from far away, from the end of the earth, swooping down like the eagle, a nation whose tongue you do not understand. And so from the beginning of Israel's covenant with God, the scriptures prophesy that if Israel refuses to serve their gracious God, then Israel will be forced to serve her enemies. God will allow Israel to be enslaved by other peoples, just as they had been enslaved by the Egyptians. And a central part of that prophecy was this warning that their conquerors would speak in a tongue, a language, that Israel could not understand. Now Israel was a people formed by the word of God, by his prophecies, his laws. They are a people of the book, 
a people who took great pride in their own language and in learning it and writing it and in the words of God given them in that tongue. So this would be a disastrous form of judgment to come under the rule of nations of foreign tongues. What did God say this would be to them? He said it would be a sign, a sign and a wonder against you and your offspring forever. So tongues are a sign. They are a sign of God's judgment against unfaithful Israel. Now, the sign of tongues continued to be a theme of warning in the writings of the prophets who followed Moses. Uh, Some 700 years later, the prophet Isaiah issued this warning once again. In Isaiah's day, the people of Israel had grown tired of listening to God. Isaiah says the word of the Lord had become to them monotonous mumblings. He describes it as precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little, there a little. God's word had become to them blah, blah, blah. Like the teacher in Charlie Brown, that's what I picture it as. God's word had become to them meaningless babble. Now what would be a fitting punishment? for such a people who hear the word of the Lord as meaningless babble. Isaiah chapter 28 verse 11 says, For by people of strange lips and with a foreign tongue the Lord will speak to this people to whom he has said, This is rest, give rest to the weary, and this is repose. Yet they would not hear. And the word of the Lord will be to them, Precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little, there a little, that they may go and fall backward and be broken and snared and taken by people of strange lips and with a foreign tongue the Lord will speak to this people. What what God's saying to Israel in Isaiah 28 is basically this, your hearts are hardened. You're practicing injustice in the land. You are failing to give rest to the weary as I had commanded you, as you cried out for when you were enslaved in Egypt. You failed to give rest to the weary. My words have become meaningless babble to you. I speak life, but all you hear is blah, blah, blah. So I will send true babbling upon you. I'm going to send the Assyrians to conquer you, to capture you, to take you from your land. I'm going to send people of a foreign tongue to oppress you. Maybe then you will begin to listen to my gracious word once again. This is the sign of tongues. But as you well know, Israel did not heed the sign. And the Assyrians did come, and the Assyrians did conquer, and the Assyrians did take and break and snare the northern kingdom of Israel, just as Isaiah had foretold. A couple hundred years later, the prophet Jeremiah says the same thing to the southern kingdom of Judah. He warns them of the coming of the Babylonians. And in Jeremiah 5.15, God says, Behold, I am bringing against you a nation from afar, O house of Israel, declares the Lord, a nation whose tongue you do not know, nor can you understand what they say. But the people of Jerusalem and of Judea did not heed the sign either, and the Babylonians did come, and they did conquer, and they did tear down the temple of the Lord, and Judah was taken captive by a people of a foreign tongue. 
So throughout the whole Old Testament, this sign of tongues is a warning given to Israel at every major juncture of her history. And it's always the same message. God's tongue speaks the word of life. But if God's people will not listen to his word, if they treat God's word as meaningless babble, then God will judge them by people of foreign tongues that they cannot understand. Their kingdom will be taken away, their rule given to people who speak in other tongues. So does this Old Testament background uh, offer us any help in making sense of what happens on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2? I believe it does. As we turn to Acts 2, I want, first of all, to point out a detail that's often overlooked, and it is this. The day of Pentecost is primarily addressed to the Jewish people. The day of Pentecost is primarily addressed to the Jewish people. Now, we often interpret Pentecost as, well, here's the gospel being spoken in all these different languages to people from nations all over the globe, and there's truth to that, this miracle certainly foreshadows the gospel of Jesus Christ being taken to the Gentiles and to the various nations of the world. But the people in Acts chapter 2 are actually Jews. Right? It says that right here. Look at Acts chapter 2, verse 5. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. These are Jewish people. Now, there are some proselytes here. Those would be converts to Judaism. But the multitude who witnessed the miracle of Pentecost are actually Jewish people. And so the day of Pentecost is this conversation between God and the people of Israel. And the sign of tongues is primarily, once again, directed toward Israel, just as it was in the Old Testament. But it is true that these Jews have come to Jerusalem from all over the known world, from Galilee, from Persia, from Asia Minor, from Greece, even from Rome. And it is true that they speak many different languages, not Hebrew. How can this be? Well, remember what we just saw in the Old Testament. In the past, Israel had treated God's word as meaningless babble, so God did judge them by people of foreign tongues. And so you have people like Daniel and like Ezekiel and like Esther, these Jews who were forced to relocate to foreign nations. And they learned the language of those nations and they learned to live there. And so thus the Jewish people were spread all over the known world. But in recent centuries, kind of leading up here to the book of Acts, many of these what we call diaspora, dispersed Jews, had returned to Jerusalem. They'd come back to the promised land, but still they spoke the language of the lands where they had been relocated. So I just want you to remember this always, that the sign of tongues on the day of Pentecost is primarily God speaking to the people of Israel. And the mission to the Gentiles really doesn't get underway until the latter half of Acts. The gospel must first go, as Jesus said, to Jerusalem and to Judea, and then to Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. Right now, we're still at the beginning. God is still dealing with his people, Israel. And so we've seen the sign of tongues was something specific for Israel, and we've seen that the audience of Pentecost is still the people of Israel. But now we ask, 
Does the sign of tongues on the day of Pentecost have that same meaning that it did in the Old Testament? And I think the answer is yes. First of all, look at the response to this miracle, to this sign of tongues in Acts 2. In verse 11, some in the crowd say, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. They're rejoicing, they're receiving. But then verse 13, but others mocking said, they are filled with new wine. So you see, the sign of tongues at Pentecost functions much as it did in the Old Testament. Some hear the sign, they receive it, they honor God's word, but others display their hardness of heart by treating God's word as babbling. Even worse, to them, the very word of God sounds like the slurred speech of a drunken man. Some in Jerusalem are making the same mistake their fathers did when they were confronted with the sign of tongues in ages past. And if we go on to look at Peter's sermon, we see that the sign of tongues on the day of Pentecost fits squarely into this prophetic tradition of the Old Testament that we've seen already. Peter first says this miracle is fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies of the prophet Joel. And then he goes on to show how the life and death and resurrection of Jesus was the fulfillment of many Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah. And Peter concludes his sermon with a stern prophetic condemnation. And notice it's clearly addressed to his fellow Israelites. Verse 36. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ this Jesus whom you crucified. Peter is preaching to his fellow Israelites, the people of Jerusalem. You see, he's telling them God sent the long-expected Messiah, his chosen anointed king, the man who was to be the savior of Israel. And we executed him like a criminal. Now talk about a convicting sermon conclusion, right? So how will Jerusalem respond to the sign of tongues given yet again? Verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And we learn that that day, 3,000 souls were baptized and became followers of Jesus. And that is the proper response to the sign of tongues, isn't it? Repent. Heed the word of the Lord. Come under his loving care. Some of the Jews mocked the word of God as drunken babbling, but many Jews heard the gospel in their own language. And so for them, the sign of tongues is a blessing. They hear the good news, and it has meaning to them, and they understand it, and they receive it gladly. And that's the story of the day of Pentecost. And so we see the sign of tongues continue to function this way throughout the book of Acts, in the ministry of the Apostle Paul, and in the life of the early church. 
And 1 Corinthians 14 is kind of the primary place where Paul talks about this, and so we'll turn there, 1 Corinthians 14. Now, here in 1 Corinthians 14, Paul's been speaking about the unity of the church, the body of Christ. And in particular, he is concerned that the gifts which the Spirit gives to his church be used to build up and to encourage and edify and unify the body of Christ. And so specifically here in chapter 14, he's talking about the difference between prophecy and speaking in tongues. And he tells the Corinthians, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. So he's highlighting prophecy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God, for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? He illustrates, if even lifeless instruments such as the flute or the harp do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. So what's Paul's main concern here? Isn't it meaning and understanding and knowledge and teaching? Paul's primary concern is that the gospel would be clearly communicated so that it can elicit the proper response in its hearer. So I want you to kind of imagine the Corinthian Christians. They're meeting together on the Lord's Day. Someone in the church begins speaking in a foreign tongue, uh, just as the apostles did on the day of Pentecost, whether it's Greek or Aramaic or Latin or some other language spoken in the empire in those days. But if no one there present speaks that language, what good is that going to do? No one is understanding what they're saying. No one is learning. No one is being built up. Unless someone is there who speaks that language and can translate for the others, that tongue does no good. And that, Paul says, is why prophecy is to be preferred. Because prophecy is teaching in the language of the hearers. It can be understood by everyone. It can build up the church. He's talking about existing human languages, languages which can be understood, which can be translated, and that's clear from this next verse, verse 10. He says, There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, Strive to excel in building up the church. But the portion of 1 Corinthians 14 that I think is most relevant for us here 
is the next verses, well, not the next verses, but verses 20 through 24. For here, Paul does precisely what we've been doing this morning. He understands and explains the sign of tongues by referring to the Old Testament. And so he writes in verse 21, In the law it is written, By people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people, and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. He's quoting that very passage we read from Isaiah 28 earlier. If God's people reject the word that comes from the tongue of God, God will judge them by sending conquerors who speak in foreign tongues. Paul says, In the law it is written, By people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people, and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus, Paul concludes, Tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. Well, prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. And that's essentially what we've learned from the Old Testament, isn't it? The sign of tongues is a sign of judgment against unbelieving Israel. It's a sign for unbelieving Israel. But prophecy is a sign for those who believe. It is for those who receive God's word with understanding and put their trust in him. Paul continues in verse 23, If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues, and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? Well, of course they will, because they don't understand a word of what is being said. Isn't that exactly what we saw on the day of Pentecost? They said, this is nonsense. This has no meaning. These people must be drunk. The sign of tongues is for unbelievers. Verse 24, But if all prophesy, and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so, falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. Why does prophecy have such a different effect than the sign of tongues here? Because it's a language spoken that the uh, hearer knows. He can understand. He can learn. He can be convicted, Paul says. He can be called to account. Just like the people in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost as they heard Peter's sermon. They hear the prophetic word and they can be cut to the heart and say, brothers, what shall we do? And the answer will be given in the language that they understand. Repent and be baptized in Jesus' name. Now, it kind of helps to remind ourselves of the situation of this church in Corinth. And we learn about this in Acts 18. You don't have to turn there. But what we find out there is that when Paul first came to Corinth, he went, first of all, to the synagogue, as he usually does. He took the gospel to his fellow Jews first. But Luke tells us they opposed and reviled him and kicked him out. And so Paul said, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he left the synagogue, and he set up shop in the house of a man named Titius Justus, who was a Gentile convert to Judaism. And guess what? This guy's house was literally next door to the synagogue. So you can kind of begin to imagine what this could have looked like in Corinth, can't you? As Paul and the other Corinthian Christians are preaching to Gentiles, and maybe they're speaking in tongues. They're speaking in Greek or Latin or other languages, tongues other than Hebrew. And the people 
still in the synagogue can probably hear this through the walls. They're right next door. And for many of them, it's just meaningless babble. And it kind of infuriates and offends them to even think that God would speak in these foreign languages instead of the holy language of Hebrew. I mean, these languages are the, tongue, or the, yeah, the tongues of their oppressors. So they hear this and they are condemned and confounded by the sign of tongues. They are confirmed in their unbelief. But then when Paul and the other Corinthians are prophesying, in the language that the Jews understand, then there is a chance that they will understand, that they will be convicted, that, as Paul himself once did, they will realize that God is indeed at work in Jesus of Nazareth, that he is the Messiah, and they may repent and come to follow him. So after we kind of walk through these passages this morning, we come to see that the sign of tongues is actually a very consistent meaning and purpose throughout the scriptures, both in the Old Testament and in the New. When God's people refuse to listen to God's word, he judges them with foreign words. And for those who remain hard-hearted in their rejection of God, those who disbelieve Foreign tongues are to them a sign of, of condemnation and judgment. But by God's grace and the power of the Spirit, others heed the prophetic warnings. And they turn to God in repentance and faith. And they receive his word gladly. And to them it is not meaningless babble, but life itself. And they enter into the kingdom of God. As far as I can see, that's what the Bible means when it refers to speaking in tongues. Now, we have brothers and sisters in Christ who mean something else when they talk about speaking in tongues today, and I don't, I'm not here to attack them, nor do I question their love for Jesus and their desire to please him. But my exhortation to all of us is to always be seeking greater understanding of and conformity to the scriptures and what it teaches about this sign that we follow Paul's example, always prizing meaning and understanding and things that build up the whole church above all. And another question we might ask after this message is, does God still work in this way? Are there situations where God might give his people the ability to speak in foreign languages in order to preach the gospel across cultural barriers? All I can say is he's never given me that ability. Shoot, I can barely talk good American as it is. What I do have experience of is this. God has given us something that even the Apostle Paul did not have. A completed Bible. Genesis through Revelation telling the story of God's people and its fulfillment in Jesus Christ. He gave the first part of the story to us in the language of the Hebrews. And the second part of the story, he spoke in tongues, the Greek language. The sign of tongues is actually embedded in the scriptures themselves. And God has also gifted people with the skill to translate his word from Hebrew and Greek and into the different languages of the world. The whole Bible has been translated into some 700 languages already, the New Testament alone into some 1,500 languages, and other portions of the scripture into more than 3,000 different languages. 
Now, it's estimated that there are some 7,000 languages there in the world, so that means there are plenty of opportunities for us to learn new tongues and to speak in tongues. There is a great need for Christians who will work to translate God's word into the heart language of every people group on earth. If we ourselves are not gifted in that uh, way, we can encourage and mobilize and support others who are. So let us take heed to the sign of tongues at Pentecost as well. Let us not treat God's word as meaningless babble. Let us not shut our ears or harden our hearts to the good news of Jesus Christ. Instead, let us be open to the word of God. Let us be cut to the heart, convicted of our sin and our need of a savior. Let us live lives of repentance and forgiveness. And let us be faithful messengers, faithful prophets who proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and seek to make its meaning clear for the upbuilding and the encouragement and the consolation of all peoples. And let us pray. Heavenly Father, you have called us out of slavery to Satan, sin, and death. You have called us to yourself in your Son, Jesus Christ. You speak to us the words of eternal life. You speak to us most clearly in the incarnate word, your Son, Jesus himself. So open our ears and open our hearts to your word, that it might not be babbling to us, but a very fountain of life. Pour out your Spirit upon us, that we might be faithful witnesses of Jesus. Make us prize clear and meaningful communication of the gospel in every language of the world for the building of your church. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen.